As we, uh, as we get together here, I, I know that there are a lot of ways that we may look at ourselves as a church or a lot of different ways that we may define ourselves as followers of Jesus. And, and I get that. I mean, uh, there are ways that I look at myself that, that are different than perhaps the way you look at me. Um, I have a lollipop in my coat pocket. I'll save that for later. Um, there are ways that, uh, that you look at me. And, you know, the truth is you look at me based upon something that you see by and large, here on a Sunday morning. Uh, th- this is how you see me, and, and uh, you know, I don't always talk like this. I do most of the time, but not always. You know, uh, it, it always cracks me up when people see me in, like, uh, shorts. They're like, ooh, who are you? You know, I, uh, and, and I get that. I mean, I, I do. I'm out of uniform, and, and, uh, uh, and, and I understand. But But there are ways that the Bible defines us as followers of Jesus that hold true no matter our personality or the era uh, or season in which we live. There are defining imagery that Scripture uses to pinpoint who we are and our purpose as followers of Christ. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, one image from the Old Testament would be uh, we are the sheep of his pasture. And we are his sheep. And he is our good shepherd. Another image that, that comes from the New Testament, we are the branches and he is the vine. And we get our life, our vitality from him. Other imagery is, is uh, we're, we're the building that he has made. Uh, we are the family that he has created. Uh, we are, um, uh, we're the body that, that he has established, and body being arms and legs and fingers and toes and, and, and that kind of thing, with Jesus being the head. But in Matthew chapter 5, what I read a few moments ago, Jesus really defines who we are. He says, you are the salt of the earth, in verse 13, and then he says, you are the light of the world, in verse 14. Salt stops decay. In the ancient world, that was the preservative. My uh, daughter went and she had uh, uh, country ham yesterday, uh, and and uh, uh, somebody asked her, "Do you?" The person at the restaurant said, "Do you know? Uh, do you know that country ham it's going to be salty?" And she said, "Well, I don't know how she said it. I would have said, duh." Uh, but country ham is salt cured ham, right? If you ever had salt cured ham, it is salt cured. That means that what stops the decay of the meat is the salt that has been, uh, you know, and all that stuff. I'm not a chemist. I don't know what it does, but it sure does taste good. Um, Salt, and us being salt means that God has given us a, a mission to stop the decay that sin creates in a world dominated and overwhelmed by sin. Then he says, you're the light of the world, and, and, and light 
The job of the light is to pierce the darkness, to push back the darkness, to penetrate the darkness. And, and so when he points to you and me and he says, you are, not you will be or you're becoming, he says, you are, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are light in a dark world. You're light. He, you, you have been given the mission among the people in, in, that you encounter every day, your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends people you go to school with, the people who are far from God, that means that they're, they're, they're living in darkness. If they're far from God, they're, they're, they're not swallowed up in light. They're swallowed up in darkness. And your purpose, my purpose, our purpose individually is to engage and encounter those people swallowed up in darkness so that they might see the light and the beauty and the good news of Jesus Christ so that those who are far from God would be brought near by believing on Jesus. That's your purpose. That is who you are. Because we do live in a world and live with friends and family and neighbors. We, we live among people who are swallowed up and their souls are swirling in the darkness of despair. They're walking through a myriad maze of, of deep misery because they have no way to get out of the fix that they find themselves in. They try to get better and they try to do more and they try to find a way, but they're still utterly lost. They're like Professor on Gilligan's Island. Y'all know Gilligan's Island? If you don't know Gilligan's Island, TV land, watch it. Uh, the, whole, the whole story of Gilligan's Island is um, there, there was this uh, group of people who decided to take uh, a, a, a trip on a boat, the SS Minnow. It was just a three-hour tour, a three-hour tour. The storm began to rage, and they were shipwrecked. On a desert isle, nobody knows where it was, but it was only three hours away from where they started. <laughs> they, they, they're shipwrecked on this desert isle, and, and the different characters who are on this shipwreck, you have um, uh, the skipper, and you, and, you have, and you have the professor, and you have Marianne, and you have uh, Mr. Howell. Uh, the millionaire and his wife. Uh, you, you have, uh, you have uh, the, the skipper. Uh, you have Ginger. By the way, I was watching a Western the other day, and Tina Louise, who was Ginger, was on that Western in a black and white. I thought, wow, that's unusual. Anyway, so uh, Ginger was there. Uh, she's the movie star. And, and then you had, of course, Gilligan. But the professor was amazing. I mean, literally, he was amazing. Here he is. He was able to take bamboo and create a record player. <laughs> Kid you not. Amazing. He was able to take coconut shells and some concoction and create a battery 
that would juice the only radio that they have. He was able to build a go-kart that was man-powered or a golf cart. He, he was amazing. He could find solutions to all these problems and difficulties that they faced, but he couldn't find a way to put a hole, fix a hole in the boat. <laughs> the biggest fault with the whole TV show, the professor could, he could make a vaccine out of ants, but he couldn't fix a hole in a boat. It was amazing. And you have people that you encounter every week, every day, who are living their lives, and they have a lot of answers, have a lot of information. They have a lot of strategies for how to do life. But they're still fumbling around in the darkness, and they can't fix the hole in their soul. And God sends you into their life today to be light for them. You are the light of the world. So over the next several weeks, we're going to look at this picture of light and how we, as followers of Jesus, called First Norway, how we can be light in the world in which God has placed us, how, how that God intersects our life with someone who's far from him, who's outside the family of God, who's separated from God by their sin, and God intersects our life with them so that we can be light to them, pointing them to Jesus. So, so over the next several weeks, that's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna, to uh, gonna look at biblical ways to be light, and we're going to do something that I never do. I don't know that I've ever done it the whole time I've been pastor here for over a decade. Um, we're going to have this, this series, and each letter of light, the name of the series, becomes the talk for the week. So today, we're going to look at L, listen. Next week, we're going to look at I, intercede. The next week, we're going to look at G, gather or get together. The next week, we're going to look at H, which is help. And then the next week, we're going to look at T, which is tell or talk. And as we look at each one of these letters, um, we're going to discover how that very practical ways that you and I can be light to that person that I've worked with for 10 years, who is living in darkness, can't fix the hole in his soul, but has tried everything they know to try. And I need to be light in their darkness. How can I do it? Well, the first thing we're going to look at is how to, how to do that. And and if you have your Bibles, turn to James chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 19 and 20. While you're turning there, let me just say, James is writing to a group of believers that are being, um, uh, being uh, oppressed. Uh, they're being persecuted. They're, they're going through various trials and their difficult days. That, that, uh, they're, they're a church in a community, and the community doesn't like the church. Not because the, the church is mean or ugly. It's because the church... Uh, follows after Jesus, and, and that bugs the, the, the community in which that church exists. 
And so there are people that are opposing the church, but James highlights that, that uh, if indeed you're a follower of Jesus, then, then the word of truth, the, the gospel has changed your life. And, and so in, in James chapter one, all the way to verse 18, he's saying, this is what the word of truth has done to you. He's, it's changed your life. It's given you a new way of living. Then in James chapter one, verse 19, where we look at today, and if you went all the way to verse 27, what James is doing, he said, based upon the fact that your life has been changed by Jesus, after you've received the word of God, the gospel, here's how you're supposed to live. So beginning in verse 19, he's teaching us how to live and especially how to live in relationship with people who don't like us or people who don't believe in God or people who don't share our values. How do we, how do we live in that kind of world? And here's what he says, James 1, verse 19. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I just look at that for a second. I just want you to just kind of settle in, let that settle in in your life. Let every person be quick to hear or quick to listen. Let every person be slow to speak. Let every person be slow to anger. For the anger of man never points people to the righteousness of God. As you look at this, here's, here's the big point. And really, there's only one point to this message. Here's the big point. We share the light of the gospel faithfully when we listen to others well. We, we, we share the light of the gospel faithfully when we listen well to others. I got to tell you, I, I know that there are some who would look at James 1, 19 through 20, and they would try to find some other, you know, they, hey, we need something bigger than this, you know. But can I tell you that for relationships, and by the way, relationships are, are the fuel that God uses uh, to share the good news of his redeeming love with others. You realize this. And, and, and so when he's talking about relationships, which he's talking about here in verses 19 and 20, it, when he's talking about relationships, he's not talking about some minor thing. He's talking about a major thing. And he's not just talking about relationships with people in the church. He's specifically talking about relationships with people outside the family of faith. So think of it this way. Verses 19 and 20 apply in my life with people that aren't part of this church who don't have a relationship with God, but whom I am connected with on a regular basis. Who's that person in your life? Who's the person in your life that is far from God? You know, by the way, you realize that there is a difference be between being in God's family and not in God's family. And, and, there's only one way to get in God's family, and that is through faith in Jesus Christ. And there are people that you encounter and the people that you've worked with for, for, for days or decades, people that you go to school with, and, and they don't know God. Now, again, 
I'm not, I'm not casting judgment on them. I'm, I'm viewing them like I view myself. You see, for me, I was the professor. For so long in life, I, I had equations and answers and, 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 and I had, had all these strategies of how to make my life better, but no matter what I tried to do, I couldn't fix the hole in my soul. I couldn't, I couldn't fix my life. I, and those are the people that I encounter who are far from God. They're not mean. Even the people that don't like me because I'm a follower of Jesus and believe strongly in that. There are people that will yell at me because of that or not like me because of that. I don't, I mean, they're not, they're not mad at me. They're mad at the fact that I say that they can have an answer to the darkness in which they're living. They just don't like the answer yet. And so, so how do I have a conversation with them? I look around here, I see people that uh, go play golf or, or work at the Y or go work out at, 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 at a different place. You go to coffee shops and hang out and you, you, you're, you're, you go to work and you're there, you're, you're, you're at... Uh, uh, an educational uh, facility or, or, or institution, and, and, and you look around here, and people, guys, all seven cities of Hampton Roads and even beyond in the North Carolina are represented in this place. People from all walks of life are represented here, and yet God, by His grace, has commissioned and purposed that you, you, you would be light. In that dark place where he places you. But that means you've got to talk to people. Talking to people is not as easy as it sounds. I mean really talking. I'm not talking about what I'm doing here. See, what I'm doing here is I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to be a lecturer, but by the very function of what we do, this is kind of a lecture kind of thing. That's not... It's not, communica- it's not communication. Real communication is talking, listening, responding. Talking, listening, responding. Now, I, I do feed off your responses, whether they're verbal or nonverbal. Whether it's uh, a, a, a waking response or a sleeping response. <laughs> I, I, I mean, you do respond in some way, but... But I'm talking about that one-to-one, face-to-face, heart-to-heart conversation that you have with that person, your business partner, who is far from God, living in darkness, and you've never had that conversation with them. You never opened the door to talk about the most important thing in your life. Now's the time. How do you do that? Well, the first thing we need to do is we need to be quick to listen. You got to be quick to listen. Being quick to listen means that you... Put your mouth on hold and get to know what's going on in the person with whom you're talking. It means that you put your thoughts on hold. You realize there are a million different things. You, you would be surprised all the things I'm thinking of right now while I'm talking. I mean, it's crazy. It's amazing what... what different kind of routes and, 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 and movements your mind can make even when you're in a conversation. And, and if we're going to be quick to hear, it means that we put all those things 
on hold and we center on the conversation. It means we actually have a conversation. I want to listen. I want to hear. I think of Jesus and how he related to people that he encountered in just two chapters in the Gospel of John, John chapter 3 and John chapter 4. Two encounters, one with um, a, a religious guy named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, who was part of a group of people that had already shown their hostility toward Jesus, and Nicodemus sets up a midnight appointment with Jesus. Nicodemus doesn't want anybody else to know he's meeting with Jesus. He just wants to show up there. And Jesus says, okay, let's meet. It's an amazing thing because if I were in the shoes of Jesus at that moment, I would have said, no, we're going to meet in the light of day. You know, we're, we're, we're going to meet and, 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 and I'm going to have, I'm going to have a couple of my disciples with me because I want them to listen and hear what you say to me and what I say to you. I mean, there would be that kind of, that kind of, uh, um, cynicism about the conversation, but Jesus, he, he said, let's go. They have a conversation. You know why Jesus could talk so freely with Nicodemus and share such hard truth in such a quick time with Nicodemus? It's because Jesus knew Nicodemus inside and out. There wasn't anything about Nicodemus that Jesus didn't know. He knew he was a teacher of the law. He knew the thoughts and the intent of the heart of Nicodemus. Nicodemus was an open book to Jesus because Jesus, the son of God, son of God is the knower of the thoughts and the intent of every person's heart. And so when Jesus talked with Nicodemus, he had already seen and discovered who Nicodemus was and why he wanted that meeting. And so Jesus was able to share the good news and the hard truths uh, that, that, that come from God with him. Jesus knew Nicodemus, inside and out. Flip over one chapter to John chapter 4, and there's another encounter, an encounter with a woman at a well in Sychar, Samaria. And she comes up to the well where Jesus is reclining in the middle of the day, and, and, and Jesus starts a conversation with her, give me a drink of water. And that sparks Something and, and Jesus uh, is able to have a conversation with this woman, not, not, not because she talked about herself, but because Jesus, the Son of God, knew her, knew her inside and out. He knew her hurts. He knew her history. He knew her problems. He knew her pain. He knew her struggles. He knew her fears. He knew her bitterness. She, he knew every aspect of her life. So when he talked to her and he offered her rivers of living water that'll come bubbling up inside of her, he did it out of the basis of knowing her completely inside and out. And I got to tell you right now, some of you, some of us, all of us at different times, we think we can fool God. We think we can pretend to be what we, what we think he wants us to be. And so we play a game and act like we're all that and a piece of peanut butter uh, on a slice of bread too. And the reality is we're still just playing a game. We think we can fool God. Now you might be able to fool me and, and you might be able to fool the person next to you, but you might even be able to fool yourself. But friends, you can never fool God. He knows you. He knows you. He knows me. There's nothing about us that's hidden from him. But that's Jesus. That's not you, and that's not me. See, there's a big difference between Jesus and me and you. I don't know people inside and out. 
There is no spiritual, listen to me, there is no spiritual gift that gives me uh, miraculous insight into you. The gift of discernment that people throw around, the gift of discernment is not me being able to look into your heart and see you. The gift of discernment that we see, it's, it's the, the gift of being able to see in a clear way who I am, not who you are. God doesn't make us some miracle worker, uh, guru kind of person who can read minds. My wife still is trying to get me to read her mind. Been married two decades. I still haven't got it figured out. I wish I did. The difference between Jesus and me and you when we want to talk about, about this wondrous truth of the gospel, the word of truth, when we want to share it, the problem is we don't know that person the way Jesus knows that person. So what do we do? We need to listen. We need to listen. We need to listen to the word of God. Speak to our heart. And we need to listen to the person that he has intersected our path with. We need to listen. To be quick to hear also means that we're slow to speak. Slow to speak simply means that, that you know, God gave you one mouth and two ears. So listen twice as much as you talk. It, it means stop looking for an opportunity to interrupt and interject your opinion and your ideas and just listen. Slow to speak means I want to get to know what's going on in you. Now that's hard for some of us because we don't really want to know what's going on in your life. I, I, I don't say that flippantly. I mean that. But that's what's got to change. See, if we're going to be the light of the world, we got to get to know the people that God puts in our path. We need to be quick to hear and slow to speak. Slow to speak, the, the, the adjective for slow is, is, is the opposite of quick, but it also has this idea of a patient and humble response. A patient and humble response. So, so when we're listening to them and they're talking and, and they're sharing their heart and, or sharing their grief or sharing their madness or sharing their, their insanity or sharing their upsetness or sharing their anger, whatever it is that they're talking about, we, we need to have a patience and a humility about us that listens well. And it wasn't too long ago, and, and I know it may be hard for some to, to, to comprehend this and, and, and just, just bear with me for a second. Um, not long ago, I received a phone call, um, and they left a message, and it was from someone that was upset with me. And I know that's hard to imagine that anyone would be upset with little old me. <laughs> but they were. Not just a little upset. I mean, they were rip-snorting mad upset. Saying words and using phrases that probably um, are not a reflection of the heart and mind of Jesus Christ. <laughs> they were mad. They were mad. Well, I got the message that they were mad. I got the phone number, and immediately I was ready to call them back because that's my nature. Not my new nature. That's my old nature. See, my old nature is I'm going to, I mean, put up your dukes. Let's, let's duke it out. Come on. 
My, my old nature is you tell me what your grief is, but before you get halfway through your grief, I've already got 10 arguments that will tear you down. You know what I'm saying? That's the old nature. And I still, I still turn to that old nature sometimes. But the new nature began to rise up in me. And so as I'm dialing the phone to get back in touch with this person who is rip snorting mad, I listen to the Word of God, the Spirit of God speaking to me through the Word of God said, you know, a soft answer usually turns away wrath. <laughs> Another verse. He who speaks to a matter without hearing it first is a fool. What you talking about, Spirit? I began to listen to the Word of God. And so when that person gets on the other end of the line and I identify myself and they start railing in on me. Again, I'm not not exalting this as the norm for me. It, It should be, but it's not always that kind of thing. But in this one instant, the Spirit of God just said, listen. Maybe it had something to do with this verse. I don't know. Could be. Said, just listen. And as I began to listen, I was able to let go my defensiveness, my words of response, my debate, my 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 attack. And I was able to take hold of something better. As I began to listen, I was able to hear beyond their anger and hear their pain. See, the truth is, by the end of the conversation, I realized that this person was going to be mad at whoever. It really wasn't about me. It didn't have to do with any decisions I made or the words that I've said. They were just mad because they were hurting so badly. And I was able to speak into them with kindness and compassion not defensiveness or anger. And I'm thankful for that because we know, according to this passage, that we need to be slow to anger because the anger that we have in our gut, even if it's for our cause and even if we're right, it will not produce the righteousness of God. I got to tell you, It's a hard lesson for some of us because we have in our mind that the most important purpose of a conversation is for us to be proved right and the other person proved wrong. But that's not the purpose of any of our conversations. Hear this. If you're a follower of Jesus, your purpose is to be the light of the world. And that means your conversation The purpose of every conversation you have is not for you to show out how smart you are, how clever you are, how right you are, and how wrong the other person is. The purpose of that conversation is to show 
the beauty and the glory of God's good news and to show how that the gospel can change that person's life. The purpose is to point people to Jesus, to to unveil the righteousness of God to the people with whom we're having a conversation. The goal, the purpose is to show people how great God is, not how great I am, not how smart I am, not how right I am. The purpose of the conversation is to help people who are far from God find life in Jesus Christ. So as we listen, we can take hold of kindness, let go of pride, and start sharing this wondrous truth of God's great and abiding love. Can I ask you a question? And just think about this next conversation you have with someone who is far from God. When you walk away from that conversation, does that person think, wow, God is great and beautiful? Or does he walk away from that conversation thinking, man, that guy's a jerk? I love the DMV. Okay, maybe I'm growing to love the DMV. I went to the DMV on Friday. And I went there and, and um, you know, I get in the line and I walk through and I have these, you know, naive ideas. I'm going to be in and out in no time. And, and, uh, and so I get there, I get my, get my folder and my, or my clipboard and my number and I sit down. And uh, it began to take a little bit longer than I expected. And I was uh, pondering about this message as I was sitting there. Great time to ponder a message, but then I began to realize maybe I need to put in practice what I'm getting ready to talk about. Maybe I need to do better at listening well. And so I, I, I had the opportunity. Um, at, it's a great thing about DMV, and I mean this. I love the DMV because anybody that sits next to me or anybody uh, uh, next to whom I sit, it's a captive audience. They're not going anywhere until their number is called. I got them. That's it. So I sit down next to somebody, and I start talking. And, and then their number's called, and they run away as quickly as they possibly can. But the good news is, as soon as they get up, somebody comes and sits down next to me. And I get to have another conversation. It's great. It's great. So I start learning how to practice this difficult revolution of listening. Uh, I'm observing as I'm, as I'm sitting there, and, and uh, I watch this young mother walk in. She walks into the line. She has her stroller with her little baby and a little four-year-old daughter. And she's coming into the DMV by herself with those kids. Oh, my goodness. She goes through the little queue and... And she gets her number and her clipboard, and she walks around. She looks, and she can't find a seat. So I get up, and I, I had a seat next to me because by this time, everybody figured out, don't sit by that guy. And I had a seat next to me. And so, so I get up, and I say, here, sit here. And she's able to put her uh, stroller here, and she's sitting in this chair, and her daughter is sitting next to her. And, and so I just stand there, not in a creepy kind of way, just standing there. <laughs> And I look and and I smile at her and I say, you know, you are very courageous to bring your two kids into the DMV. And I said it with a smile. She looked at me 
And she said, I had no choice. And she wasn't joking and she wasn't happy about it. And immediately, the Spirit of God starts speaking. Be quick to listen. Be slow to speak. So I responded. I said, you know, I hate it. Anytime I feel like there's no choice, don't you? And just that question sparked an entire history of her life. She was looking for an opportunity to talk. She needed to talk. She talked about her kids and talked about her, her uh, baby daddy and talked about unmet expectations and disappointments and frustrations and anger. And while she's talking, I, she talked about unmet expectations. I said, I, I know. I said, I hate it when, when expectations are unmet. It, it just, it, it, it's just tough. She said, she said it is. She said, but she's, she's got courage to, you know, did the whole courage thing. I'm trying to find the courage to press on. And I said, you know, courage is a great gift from God. She kept on. She talked. She began to talk about her relationships. I, I said, I said, you know, relationships are such a treasure from God, and he has a way of really working things out toward the best when we, when we do it his way. Not preachy, just kind of throwing something in every now and then. She keeps on. She talks about the birth of her new baby. This baby is less than six months old. I said, you know, babies are such a gift from God to us. She went on, and I didn't say much. I mean, obviously, it, it was just interjecting a little bit of God here and a little bit of God there, just showing her that God has a purpose. After a while, she looked up at me, because I was standing there. Again, not in a creepy way. I was just standing there. She looked up at me, and she said, what do you do? I said, I'm a counselor at Eden Counseling. I'd... No, I said, I said, I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor at First Baptist in Norfolk. And she just looked and she said, you know what? She said, I don't think it's an accident. Or I, I, I think maybe God intended for me to sit here and be able to talk to you. And I said, oh, no. No, maybe. I know for certain that God put me here and put you here on purpose. My number gets called and I walk away. But when it's all said and done, that little lady knows about God's beauty. Because I listened. There are people that you encountered this week. They're swirling in a sea of darkness, and they're here in the darkness. And God has intersected you in their life. They're in the darkness. God's put you in their life so that you can help pave the way for them to see the cross of Jesus Christ. And as you walk with them on this road, one of the bricks that God has given us to use 
to help lead somebody to know Jesus is simply to listen to them so that they are known and understood. So my challenge for all of us this week is to listen deliberately, intentionally, and listen well.